You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. A few years ago, Carl Lagerfeld turned the Chanel runway into a giant data center at Paris Fashion Week. Mainframes everywhere, colorful wires, runway models dressed as robots. Either he was making fun of how technology was part of our lives, or he was really giving us that wink-wink of the future of fashion is in data. Once upon a time, you had a bunch of people making gut decisions about what general the general public would wear in the next six months. Today, new data-driven platforms are informing the buying and product decisions. Department stores are increasingly using data to help predict the rise and decline of future trends. Fashion houses are using data analytics to identify opportunities and weaknesses in their collections. So one side you have creative vision, the other side you have trend tracking analytics, data, luxury, left brain, right brain. Big question is, can they all live together in harmony? Well, here to help to sort all things out is Elizabeth Schobert, VP of Marketing at Digital Strategy at StyleSage. If you're not familiar with StyleSage, it's an analytics platform that helps fashion retailers and brands track global movements in pricing, assortment, promotions, and trends. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So how did that sound? What, you know, it sounded like it's <laughs> the end bad. of the world. It's the end of the fashion world. Is What's going on here? You have data. You have fashion. You have gut, you know, sort of a gut reaction, and that's really what it's always been about. How can the two live together in perfect harmony? You have beauty and the beast. So I thought you would be the perfect person to help our audience and everybody sort of sort things out on that. So a good place to start at, you know, I, I talked a little bit about Style Sage. Why don't, you know, tell me about Style Sage, tell the audience about Style Sage, you know, why it was founded, the types of clients you work with, and why they come to you, that type of thing. Sure. So our CEO was actually inspired by a very classic business school um, case, the Zara one, I'm sure. If many of you have been to business school, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. Um, but in it, it talks a lot about how quickly the organization can actually bring a product to market, um, you know, in a matter of weeks versus the rest of the industry, which is typically months and months, sometimes even, you know, a year or so. Um, and so she was really inspired by this idea, how could other brands be as reactive and responsive as Zara is? Um, and, and part of that is the information, you know, what kind of data that they have at their fingertips. And, you know, she realized when she pulled some people industry that a lot of people were using these really outdated spreadsheets to make decisions, and it was impossible to keep it updated. So out of that was uh, kind of birth style sage. And um, what we are is essentially we're pulling in a lot of different data sources, um, e-commerce data, what's online today, um, influencer data, looking at what people are searching for. And we're bringing this all together under one solution so that merchandisers, people that are in design and planning, can actually see what's happening in the world outside their door. So I think that's been one of the challenges in the luxury industry is to kind of look more outside in the business context, understand where the shifts are happening among, in the consumer marketplace. Um, and we're really trying to empower people to use data in their decision making on a day-to-day -day basis. So was that, was that difficult at first um, to, for Jade to pitch that idea? Um, you know, did she approach the retailers? Did she approach the fashion houses? Who, who was the first to sort of embrace that idea? Who were the trendsetters, if you will, of, in data in the, when she first started? <laughs> 
So I know she was sitting in Paris at the time when she was kind of working out the plan for the business. And Isn't it always that way? <laughs> I know, I wish. <laughs> um, so she was talking to some of the luxury brands, and I think there was definitely some sort of reticence or pushback about it. But, you know, that was six years ago. A lot has changed. And, you know, we know well just being in this industry how much has changed and that, you know, some Folks in the luxury industry have been slow to adopt some of these technologies, but fast forward six years and, you know, the reality is in front of us. The marketplace and the consumer has changed so much. Right. You either, you know, try to stay ahead or you're going to get left behind. So do, are they starting to wonder if there's such thing as a fashion data scientist? Has, has we, that, have, we have a few, actually. I mean, on the, I mean uh, talking about a fashion data scientist on, the, on your client side. They're actually, you are seeing more of them. Um, You see it a lot with some of these like larger marketplaces, a lot of these companies that are working with multiple brands. You're definitely seeing more of that. I still think it's kind of in its early stages, but it's it's definitely a growing sort of specialty within data science. Right. So how does, give give us a typical example of how how StyleSage works with a client, like, you know, starting from the very beginning where perhaps you identify a need and then going into a client Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, how do you sell them? The idea of data. Yeah, I think one of the you know big things for us is understanding that they need to be able to make faster decisions. Um, and you know, I, I'll probably talk about speed you know hundred times during uh, yeah. this podcast, but you know, speed is really critical to these retails um, surviving and thriving in this environment. Um, so that's really kind of one of the major talking points. But it's also about how can you take kind of blend the creative side with the data? And I think um, it's really interesting. I just read this. Gucci case study in business of fashion about how their creative director like works with the merchant team. And I think it's really clever. It's instead of just having it coming from one direction, there's much more of a collaborative approach. So that's understanding that, yes, you know what's sold really well. You know, you understand some of the shifts that are happening amongst the consumer, like what they bought last year, what they might be interested in now. But how do you kind of bring those two, the creative together with that data and come up with something new that has your brand sort of stamp and sort of ethos surrounding it. Who usually leads the conversations in those meetings? Is it more of the data person or the creative person? Or you really do need some sort of visionary <laughs> at the on, on the client side who can facilitate the two together and see the bigger picture? I think for us, we found that success is really when there's a kind of a wide variety of stakeholders in the room. And that's going to come from the merchant. There'll be folks that are in consumer insights there. There'll be the the um, e-commerce teams. You'll have some of your digital folks as well. So there's going to be a broad um, sort of swath of people. And I think that's, for any kind of technology, honestly, I think that's really important for it to kind of take root and grow within the organization and get that really important traction. So how would they, how, you know, give us a typical example of how they would use the data. Sure. Like a great, you know, you don't have to name any clients if you want. <laughs> Sure. That's fine. But, yeah. um, you know, how do you see the best use case scenario that have you seen since you've been working there? Sure. So to kind of back up one step. So when I talked about us having um, e-commerce data, what we're actually doing using image recognition technology, actually able to pull out really granular details around what that picture is on the website, whether it's a, you know, a flowered shirt, long sleeves, you know, button up, it can pull all those details in. And so 
the, if you kind of fast forward to the use case, the way that they can see um, opportunities in the marketplace is they can actually drill down to really specific colors and look at specific prints, see if they might be missing something in a sort of certain price bucket. Um, maybe they're introducing things too late. So they're actually able to look both in the present moment, but also look historically and see what they might have missed in the past um, and then sort of evolve it for the future seasons. So who, you know, so basically what they're doing is are they're sort of s- scraping if you will, are mining the internet for a lot of these looks mm-hmm. and colors. Um, but who's to say that they're on trend or they're sort of predicting the right thing? Or did, did Style Stage look at other things outside of fashion when it comes to color trends and other things like that, that more of the cultural changes that are happening and include that as well? So there is some context to you know, what's coming from the data. Sure. So as we've evolved that, our solution, we've definitely had a lot of questions around that, and we've actually been bringing in more influencer data. And those influencers can cover everything from beauty to health and wellness to those in the home and interior space. So we're understanding how they're talking about things, where are they located, understanding there might be some geographic trends that they should be pinpointing. We're also looking at how people are searching for trends, what might be related to something. If I'm looking for a particular type of jacket for winter. There are other searches that are related to that. So we're trying to dig more into sort of the origins of that customer demand mm-hmm. and in the language in which um, you know they're searching for it so we can understand some of the nuance and help some of the marketers as well so, make decisions. So is social listening involved in that? You know, You were looking at... Um, influencers. Mm-hmm. So is there, like I'm saying, it's, is it basically what they're posting on Instagram and, and, and what the responses are from their followers, things like that? Yeah. So we're pulling in um, posts from Instagram going back years and years, and you can track and see you know, what some of the popular hashtags have been, who they're tagging in their post, um, looking at some of the different you know brands they might be working with as well. So we're pulling in that data as well, understanding that you know, that's a really important channel to understand um, sort of engagement with a brand or with an influencer. So the way, you know, I'm wondering if five years from now, hopefully this won't displace any jobs in the fashion industry. <laughs> yeah. You'll still need somebody there to, to uh, from a creative standpoint, to sort of put everything together. Sure. Um, but it's really fascinating. You know, it's, you know, right on your website, it says, Data and fashion can be friends. Is that is that your tagline? And uh, <laughs> I, I did come up with that. Thank you. So you know, I, I love it. And, you know, but you know, the fashion industry and the luxury industry, uh, you know, has been really notoriously slow to adopt to emerging technologies. So can they be best friends, BFFs? You know, if you will. Um, it's you know you're starting to see more of that happening, but you know very curious to see if if you know five years from now everybody will play nice and and you know they'll uh, you'll actually have a better product. Yeah, I mean you know kind of to step back um, in terms of technology and data out there, there's so many different um, types available for retail and then more specifically for fashion and luxury. Um, so you know whether you're thinking about um, fit technology that helps people to find the right size um, or the sort of the AI chatbot that helps people to answer questions about a product, you know, it's all of those things. They need to somehow be measurable in their impact. And I think that to the extent that, you know, data can be friends with fashion, um, I think it has to have some like ROI when you use these technologies. Um, and I really like how brands like 
LVMH are thinking about um, technologies can kind of impact that customer journey. They're really thinking about, okay, discovery, you know, what things can help here. And then when we get people in the store, clienteling, understanding to have the right inventory in the store, there's a lot of different elements here. But I think, you know, from where I sit in the industry, it's about, again, making faster decisions, but understanding that world outside of, you know, sort of outside your brand. And then how do you connect with that shopper? I think those are sort of the three really important areas. And some of maybe not necessarily quicker wins, but they can be, you know, something that a brand can really understand and connect back to some of their key metrics. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at the, a lot of the digital first brands, I mean, Stitch Fix is one, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of digital first brands that are really on the forefront of data collection and insights analytics. So how can traditional companies compete on that level? They were born that way, these digital sure. first companies where analytics and data was really in the forefront. And so the luxury brands have to catch up and compete. And what are the advantages that they actually have, these traditional luxury brands have over the digital first brands when it comes to data and the customer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you know, for for a luxury brand, you know, its heritage is it's really its essence, and it's constantly trying to kind of balance that with the sense of newness. But at the same time, you know, like any other brand or you know retailer out there, they are beholden to the you know their shareholders, and if that's you know relevant, um, you know, growth by channel engagement. So I think that you know, these are just as important for a luxury brand. I think where there's some element they might have a leg up is really when it comes to personalization. I think there's kind of an inherent um, element of personal to some of these luxury brands. It's just really how do they capitalize on it. Um, And I, you know, at the end of the day, I see data in its, you know, analytics in its current um, sort of life as something that empowers decisions. It doesn't, you know, take the job of someone. It ha- helps them give them a lens with, with which to make a decision with, you yeah. know, to see and just make maybe more of a take a risk right. um, that they might not have been able to. Um, so I think it's just really about having the people inside these organizations that can interpret and understand what this data means. Because, yeah. well, you know, if you're not kind of versed in that, you right. do sort of need someone to help. Ha- to, to kind of explain it and understand it. But I think once you kind of unlock the power of it, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, and I think you also need a CEO, you know, the, the leader of the company to, to make that a mandate. For sure. Um, and leadership. Know, if you're seeing in terms of leadership, you're seeing especially some of the larger brands. I know LVMH is one of them, but there are a lot of luxury brands where you just have to listen um, to their earnings calls, the ones that are in public, and they data is, is usually right entrenched in the conversation mm-hmm. from the CEO or one of the uh, senior executive teams. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we'll continue to see that. I, th- uh, I think, too, that, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot when it comes to whether it's our solution or other solutions, it's you really have to have that sort of senior level stakeholders, you know, ship and ownership, you know, at that level. And I think that also just the ability, like once you have that information in your hands in those people, you know, you have to empower them to take those decisions. I don't think every organization is built like that. And I think that's why you have companies like Zara, while not luxury, they can make those decisions quickly because they've empowered their people to do exactly that. Right. Are you finding are um, the fast fashion brands, are they started getting more involved in, uh, in data to you know, get it out even faster and finding out what mm-hmm. the trends are. I mean, that's really moving quickly to see yeah. what's what's next and, and things change really quickly. Are you finding they're more involved in the data? Yes, I think because, you know, they're selling um, 
a lot of products, you know, across many, many different markets. You know, they're always kind of looking for the next opportunity. So for us, that's a very obvious um, use case and target market. So yes, they're definitely, I think, well-versed in the need for this type of data. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, so some really say that the future success of luxury brands will, you know, be increasingly determined by their ability to collect, analyze, and generate insights from customer data and turn them into actionable strategies. It's nice to collect those data, but you need the people mm-hmm. to understand, to filter that out, to surface the insights, and actually take action on them, which has always been a problem, but not only in the luxury industry, but across industries, is finding out what that means. What are the implications of the data? How to, Like I said, how to bring those insights out. And I find a lot of companies that I've worked with in the past, um, they have the insights, but they don't have the leadership when they feel that some of those insights show that they have to change mm-hmm. and they have to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, do you think the future of, of success of a lot of these luxury brands will be, actually be to take make some changes and do things perhaps they're not comfortable with and in, mm-hmm. in getting into you know uncomfortable spaces, that, uh, but in the long term they might grow? Yeah, I think, again, it comes down to leadership and, like, really trusting your people to make the right decision. And that's that's all about the people. But, you know, kind of coming back to the tools that you were talking about, um, I really think that, you know – the consumer insight, I know a lot of these, most of these companies have someone who's kind of looking at where the market is going, but I also think it's important to see who your customer might not be. Where is that opportunity? And I think seems as though maybe some labels have been blindsided by these right. massive tectonic right. shifts that are going on, especially in the luxury industry. If you think about how millennials or Gen Z want to sort of access luxury goods, resale, rental, you know, experiential retail is huge, but mm-hmm. they maybe want to discover the brand online. And then on top of that, the whole definition of luxury is even changing where it's maybe still there's a status handbag, but there's health and wellness, there's these culinary and travel experiences. So I think that, you know, kind of taking a step back and understanding maybe not your customer today, but mm-hmm. tomorrow, how are you going to access and sort of build that loyalty over time? Maybe you're going to first access them through a resale market, but then maybe they're going to, what's the opportunity for you as a brand to right. to access them and, you know, your your full retail channels? So, is, is that something that StyleSage does is, where, you know, find out where their potential customers are? Ones perhaps that the client has not tapped into? Mm-hmm. Is that something you, you know, Style Sage works with with clients. We typically are looking at the opportunity more at the sort of product level, right. um, unless so. A lot of times, our data is actually paired with insights around the right. consumer. Right. We've seen that kind of side by side in a lot of their, reports. Their consumer insights or your your consumer? Their insights? consumer right, insights. Right, right. Yeah, because the thing they really go hand in hand. Um, but it, yeah, it's very interesting to kind of understand. Like yesterday, this is my customer, but. What about tomorrow? So I think kind of I always like to take a step back when people are talking about like who my customer is. I'm like, yes, and but who is it going to be? And like you said, how are you going to address those shifting needs? Right. You know, it's interesting. I was I was reading um, the uh, something from WGSN, that trend forecasting company. I think I actually wrote down this quote here because I thought it was interesting. Uh, Data is exceptionally useful to detect when a rising trend is about to hit mass adoption and to anticipate the decline of a trend. But what it can't do is invent a trend. Do you agree with that? I'm kind of thinking about the phrase invent a trend. Um, I don't think data invents a trend. I think that 
it is a trail of breadcrumbs that may kind of be very sparse at first and then it sort of takes you somewhere else. I think that if you're kind of looking at the broader market, that's true that, you know, you'll it'll tell you when things are going to um, hit kind of mass adoption. But if you're very laser focused, I think on where you're looking for those sort of early signs, whether that's a geographic market or certain sort of groups of thought leaders, influencers. Um, I think if you're more focused on that, you can actually pick up on that sort of trail of breadcrumbs earlier. Um, so I think, I don't think that data invents a trend, um, but, you know, maybe I'm just getting caught up in it. <laughs> don't worry. You're too involved in it. Uh, so <clears throat> if you were, you know, let's, let, let's assume our audience here is are you know, luxury marketers and they really haven't play too much in the data space. Um, like, what advice would you give them to, like, where's a, I know, don't say style stage, but I know you're <laughs> going to say that. Like, <laughs> let's be neutral here. So yeah. just from a broader perspective, what would you tell them to do? Where, where would they start? Or if they're just starting out now, where, what are some of the areas that, that they should really be looking at and to get the most out of the data? And obviously, they're going to obviously have to hire people to do some mm-hmm. of these things. Um, but where did the best use of, of the, you know, the data then, you know, to, to grow the brand Yeah, I work like, their clothing? You know, I kind of start thinking about, like, what are the companies sort of what's in their targets for that year? Where are they, what are their plans for several years out? And I think to the extent that you can connect certain tools that help you give like a measurable lift in awareness or conversion rates, whatever those might be, I think if you could connect a solution to a lift in that is going to be really important. So, you know, if it's awareness, what are you thinking about in terms of, you know, your social media presence, um, how are you approaching personalization? Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can think about it. So I think it really is going to depend, and this is not a cop out, but right. <laughs> just depending on what that company's priorities are. You know, if, if you're accessing a new geographic market, it could be very different. You right. know, what is your your team all strategy, for example? Right. Um, so I think it, it's going to really depend. But I say, you know, always keep yourself sort of accountable to um, a measurable ROI, but also sort of to all the stakeholders in these decisions around technology to kind of keep them informed and abreast of how things are developing. Because as we know with, you know, data analytics technology, it might take time and it usually does for it to really kind of to take hold and to see the lift that you want to. So kind of coaching those stakeholders along the way, I think is really important. I feel like I'm talking as much about the sort of people side of technology as I am about the technology itself. And that's, you know, on purpose, because I think they're equally important. This is a data processor, too. <laughs> I'm pointing to my head. <laughs> so uh, what do you think the outlook is for, you know, I, I think designers might want to close their ears for this part out there, if you're listening, <laughs> is Be kind. will AI replace human designers? You know, there's a lot of talk about AI replacing a lot of different jobs. What about designers? Because, you know, we spent the whole part of this conversation where we're finding that machine learning and AI can predict trends. And that's, we're just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Maybe I'm an idealist, but I do not think that they will. I, you know, in the way that I envision it, it's going to enable the designer and the creative and the consumer to collaborate in a way that we haven't really even envisioned yet. So that's 
kind of how I see it. I think it's just going to help people access sort of, you know, new ideas and bring them to market in a different way. And I think we're kind of already moving in that direction because a lot of brands are really taking more input from their shoppers. But um, I, I see a, a universe in which there's just a closer partnership and it's, you know, more on sort of even uh, playing field. So, so do you think designers five years from now will have completely different skill sets coming into it? Like when you have some of the major luxury houses hiring a new creative director, mm-hmm. again, five years from now, will that creative director have, like I said, completely different skill sets where perhaps there was data? It's they're not only you know, creative right brain, but they're also left brain thinkers and they have all grew through some aspect of, of, of understanding what data is and how to apply it to the business that they're in. I think that it is important to have some, you know, the business sensibility, but I also think you're going to see even more rigor and education around um, sustainability, which obviously means many, many different things. So I think that, yes, and I know fashion education has been evolving a lot um, over the past years. So I think that, yes, but I think the, you know, important thing is to have that collaboration, like I mentioned before, with the Gucci um, creative team and the merchant team, that they really work together, um, where the creatives, you know, they're out there, they're figuring, you know, capturing all these interesting ideas and then sort of bringing that together and working side by side with the merchants to bring commercially viable products to market. Um, And I know there's some luxury houses that wouldn't completely agree with what I just said, but I think this is the world in which we're in, if not going to be in. Um, So, you know, that's sort of where I think the education has it needs to evolve. So you were talking about sustainability uh, as part of Style Sage. Does that come up often when you're starting? You're tracking other brands. Yeah, it's coming up. I mean, in the last six months, right. uh, much more, um, and it's just really understanding how you know, the verbiage around it. What does it mean? Does it mean materials? Does it mean where it's made? There's so many different ways it's kind of defined. And I think one of the things that we're working on is how we're going to sort of build out um, sort of categorization around that so it's clear, so the merchants will understand, um, you know, sustainability by this definition. So I think it's really important. It's becoming a, for some places it's built into their entire product strategy for others it's sort of more of a premium or different kind of collection so each retailer is approaching it differently so i think it's going to be very interesting to see how that evolves but yes we're definitely uh, looking at the data behind that and we're going to do some really interesting reporting on it in the next few months is it going to be shared publicly yes yes it will be Uh, we do some of these in-depth reports from time to time and this is one we've been working on for a while it's pretty complex but i'm pretty excited about it too oh wow i think uh, (laughs) our audience will have to look out for that so the final question which is the final question i give to all my guests is the luxury item question after all that's the name of the podcast so if you were stranded on a desert island, <laughs> hmm. what single luxury item would you want to have with you? And it can't be any form of transportation. Okay. Well, I'm going to circumvent the transportation thing with my iPhone because I think that would be the ultimate luxury hmm. um, item. You know, I could get my uh, NetJet or <laughs> I could charter the private jet to pick uh, me up, maybe order some Seamless. Are you well, gaming the system here? You know, I mean... I'm going to have to change these questions <laughs> and there's no wireless connection where you are. <laughs> if not that, then probably some, some you know, heavy-duty sunscreen so I don't get, you know... But I, I definitely would go for the phone because Apple is the ultimate luxury the product. The ultimate luxury brand. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Um, well, Elizabeth, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. My pleasure. I uh, appreciate it and... And um, talk to you soon. 
right. Sounds good. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of The Luxury Item. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to The Luxury Item at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.